We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. Joining me on the podcast now is Brad Rowland. He is a host of the Talking Chop podcast, part of SB Nation. You can check him out on Twitter at BT Rowland. Brad, thanks for joining me to talk some Braves. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me and uh, always really talk about some baseball. Yeah. How, how, how have you felt about this season so far? 
It's been very weird, um, as I'm sure everyone would tell you. Uh, you know, the Braves are playing pretty well, which makes it a little bit easier. Uh, this is a pretty good baseball team. But aside from that, just the day-to-day bizarre nature, like spending time on podcasts talking about games that may or may not happen and uh, the logistics around the league. And it's just a very strange time to cover baseball. Um, you know, fingers crossed that they continue to play and everybody's all right. But uh, yeah, just a bizarre time, even if the team is pretty good. And uh, it should be more fun than it probably is right now. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's kind of for each, you know, the Yankees were off to a hot start and it's always like, well, now there's danger of it getting shut down and the the Cardinals are still shut down. I don't know how the hell they're going to make up 14 games or whatever (laughs) it's going to be. And obviously the Marlins, which affects the Braves closely, affected the Yankees because they're all playing them in interleague play. So, yeah, you're right. It's sort of like you can get excited and then you turn on the news and you realize, oh, crap. Yeah, it's very... I don't know. I cover basketball, too, and basketball is playing, but I also cover the Atlanta Hawks, who are not in the bubble that basketball is doing. So I'm in this weird spot where I cover one team that's not playing and I cover another team that is playing, but in a bizarre state. So every day, I just feel like I have to qualify every statement. It's just a bizarre time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, you know, as most people feel 60 games is not ideal for baseball. But are you one of these people that just thinks this this is going to be a season that doesn't count because it's not a full season and weird stuff's happening? They're doing funky rules and expanded playoffs. Or are you kind of intrigued by all this different uh, stuff that they're trying out? I'm closer to intrigued. Uh, I definitely understand the pushback because baseball is such a marathon sport and this is not really what this is going to be. But, uh, and for one example of that, like I, I hate the idea of expanded playoffs under normal circumstances, but this year I'm more okay with it because that way, at least the better teams you hope would get into the playoffs. And then in a full sized playoff scenario, you would hope the better teams rise to the top. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a normal season, but I do think that the, the asterisk talk is probably a little bit overblown for me. I think, it almost might depend on who wins the championship this year, who wins the World <laughs> Series, as to how people are going to react. If like the Yankees win or the Dodgers win, no one's going to really pile on them. But if it's a if it's a team that has lower expectations, maybe people will uh, tr- try to devalue it by saying it doesn't really mean anything. I don't know. I think it's definitely strange and should be talked about as such. But given the playoffs are a normal size, like you got, you have to win a certain amount of series and full series. I think that more probably series. helps things more series. Yeah, now. actually that's right. You, you got to get through a, an extra series, a three game series. And for a team like the Braves team, like the Yankees, it looks like they're going to be near the top of their division. So likely those are going to be at home, but it's still who the, who the hell knows what's going to happen in three games. Anything can happen. Yeah. It's still quite a test. I mean, it's not normal, but it's not a situation where I'm just going to, you know, cross this season off as if it didn't matter. I think it does matter. Uh, how much it matters probably depends on the eye. Uh, I guess the eye of the beholder here. Yeah, yeah, and I'm with you. I I'm intrigued by a lot of this stuff because as much of a as much of a baseball fan as I am, I I do think that they should and can do some things to make it a little bit more exciting on a normal basis over 162. And so, if we're going to get a little bit of a taste of that this season, then. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, it's going to be weird anyway. So let's let's go full weird, I guess, for, for 2020. But the Braves, like you said, off to a good start. Not in first place because the Marlins have a better win percentage. <laughs> but I don't expect that to, to last. Um, and if you could just sort of give people, because the Braves are not a team that Yankees fans really have seen much of. They're in the other league. So you may have just followed them from afar. But they've sort of turned things around pretty quickly in Atlanta. Give a little crash course on on how they were able to do that and and really have a a young, good roster right now. 
Yeah, I mean, they there were some lean years like they, you know, the Braves didn't necessarily do a full scale like Astros level rebuild where they were just absolutely terrible. Like they were bad, though, for a while. I mean, I believe it was yeah four straight seasons where they missed the playoffs. The first of which was a disappointing season in which they were had some pretty high, pretty high expectations. And then they decided to basically sell off from there. And they uh, were in the wilderness for those three years. Um and elected to rebuild via pitching, which is a controversial decision. E- even still to this day, they kind of leaned heavily into pitching. And uh, on the other side of that, they came out of it with a bunch of really good position players and not that many pitchers, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of funny. I was um, going to say Albies, Acuna, like that's those are yeah. our pitchers and they're some of the best young players in baseball. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out well. Uh, you would obviously say because of those guys in particular, uh, and their contracts are fantastic, all that stuff. But the plan, the stated plan, when they started rebuilding, was they were going to load up on pitching, and they used a lot of draft capital on it. Uh, a couple of those guys panned out. Mike Soroka, who got injured, but he's awesome. Um, Max Fried's pretty good as well. But uh, their hit rate's not been super high. But you know, it's kind of a normal rebuild. They were bad for three or four years. Now they're rounding in a form. Um, not necessarily. Uh, it's kind of weird because the Braves were my entire childhood were really, really good and making the playoffs every year and making the World Series a lot. They've not won a playoff series in two decades, which is just this weird reality where they were still pretty good for a lot of this time, but they have not won a playoff series since 2000, 2001. So wow. it's just really weird. I know people don't even respond to that well. I mean, Braves fans know it, but they were good for a lot of this, a lot of that time. They just can't get over the hump in the postseason. So that that's the short version. They rebuilt they're pretty good now. I think they're not obviously on the same level um, talent wise as like the Dodgers and the Yankees, but they're in that next tier, I think, of talented teams that can go out there and compete for the World Series. Yeah. And you mentioned Soroka. Is do you feel that that might be the difference between going to the World Series and just not having enough this year for the Braves? It certainly could be. I mean, I did a postmortem on my podcast that night and kind of mentioned that. I don't want to go too deep into it, but it's one of those things where. The, the does, team it bring up, had, does it bring up bad memories? Is, no, is it like it's opening okay. A new wound? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I mean, the Braves have already been sort of decimated pitching wise before that. They signed Cole Hamels to a big one year balloon deal and Cole Hamels uh, has not pitched yet and has been hurt the entire time. They had a couple of they had an opt out from Felix Hernandez, who they were looking for for some depth. Um, Mike Fultonavich kind of fell apart on them. They just kind of have a lot of pitching issues this year. That was their one big question mark. And Soroka was the number one starter. So um, it kind of compounded on itself when he got injured, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago now. Um, So, yeah, I I do think that probably, if I'm being realistic, that probably takes the Braves out of the World Series hunt uh, just because it's a hard pill to swallow in some ways. But just realistically, I I don't really see them winning, as as we talked about before, four consecutive series when they really only have one pitcher that anyone trusts right now uh, in Max Fried. That's a tough sell. It's not impossible. Teams have done certain things kind of like that. But, um, you know, they went from a team where I would have projected them probably as one of the top six or seven teams in baseball. They're still going to make the playoffs, I think, because they have this nice head start and they are a good baseball team. But in a playoff series, it's hard to pick against, sorry, pick them over teams that are equally talented that just have a lot more pitching. Yeah, definitely. And if if Freed was pitching the way he has been and then you compare him with Soroka, then maybe you do have something uh, yeah. for the playoffs. So a one-two punch. But other than Freed, the rotation, at least the numbers so far, have not been good. But you, you know, knowing these pitchers and watching with your own eyes, sort of give a scouting report on on some of those other pitchers. I think the Yankees are going to see uh, Touchant on Wednesday, and I don't know if they've announced a starter for Thursday. Yeah, it's kind of a mess right now in the rotation. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be Tukey um, in the first game. It looks like he was not supposed to be in the rotation this year. Uh, that's a, that's a guy who used to who was a highly touted prospect, has been kind of in the woods. 
recently. He was really good in his last start, so maybe uh, maybe you'll see that version of him. I'm, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. He's really talented, has great stuff, but has not been a fantastic major league starter at this point in time. Um, and then you have Kyle Wright in a sort of a similar boat, another top tier prospect, a former top 10 overall pick in the draft uh, out of Vanderbilt. And he is another talented guy that's not been great at the major league level. Those, those two guys, they're now really, really hoping are going to hold up because outside of that, you have Sean Newcomb, who has uh, not been very good recently. He had a couple of uh, good months previously in the rotation last year, but uh, kind of tailed off, got removed from the rotation. Now he's back in it out of necessity, but he's been pretty bad. Uh, it's just interesting, man. I, there are different options. They, they could go to Josh Tomlin, who's been great in the bullpen, a former starter, but he's not exactly the sexiest arm in the world. They have some young guys. I think eventually they might try some of their top prospects if they get dire. But right now, it's really like they're patching this thing together with uh, duct tape on a nightly basis, except for Max Reed. <laughs> well, how is their bullpen? It's very good. Um, that's that's the bright side is that the bullpen is quite good. Um, now, is it going to be good all year if they have to pitch six innings a night? Uh, maybe not. That's a, that's a, that's a, well, that's a, where a I was going ask. with this because I saw a stat today. I think uh, Mike Petriello tweeted it out. He's, he does uh, stat cast stuff. Yeah. And this, this season is the lowest amount of batters face for starting pitchers in history. And it's been a downward trend like the last five, six years, but it's, it's going to set a new low this year. So I think that's a, a couple of different factors. One is the fact that I think teams are worried about injuries and we've already seen a ton of arm injuries for pitchers because of the ramp up time. So they're not going to push the starters starters as much, but like we've seen it for five years now, just bullpen is the way to go two times through the order for a starting pitcher and then bring in a guy throwing 97 miles an hour. Yeah. And I generally agree with that. I mean, especially, especially in the postseason, I think, uh, it's very obvious when pitchers are left in too long as starters. And uh, in the regular season, there is definitely still some value to eating innings because you just don't want to tax your bullpen too, too much. But I'm generally with you. There are very few guys that you think are heavily reliable the third time for the order. And that's what you get into uh, trouble with a lot of times with, uh, there's with a managers handful, and that There's stuff. a handful of pitchers, I think, that you you trust to go three times through the order and the bullpen arm is not better. And you can count yep. those, you know, I think we know who they are. Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer when he's healthy, Justin Verlander when he's healthy, those pitchers. It's like that sort of elite company is who you trust to go three times through. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, the Braves have, I would say, six or seven relievers that they really trust. And that seems like a lot because it is. Yeah, it is they a actually, lot. Yeah, they have a they have a really good bullpen. Uh, I think there's probably tiers where there's maybe four or five that they really, really, really trust. And then another couple of guys who are, I think, are very solid, you know, seventh inning kind of types. Um, but again, if they're going into the bullpen in the fourth inning every night, you can't use those guys every day. And I think, especially right now, this year, they've been careful, and I think rightfully so, to not tax guys. They're trying to avoid pitching guys on back-to-back days because everybody's still rounding into form. But you know, the ideal hope for the Braves, especially if they do make a playoff run or if games really matter, is that maybe you coax four or five innings maybe out of a starter that's not freed and then from there you hand it over to a bullpen that is uh not like dominant in the way that they don't have that number one ridiculous closer type that people always want to say that they want but they have again a bunch of quality arms they signed will smith to a big deal it was kind of controversial before the season and not not that he's not good because he is quite he's he's quite good but that was their one multi-year expenditure was on a reliever which is not normally what you want to see, um, but he is good. Uh, they have Mark Melanson, who's bouncing around. Is he around back yet, though? Will Smith, didn't he have COVID? 
Uh, he did. He actually debuted, I believe it was on yeah, Sunday. So he's been back for a couple of days now. He was on, oh, okay. the, he was on the roster a few days before that. But yeah, he had a, a late arrival. So along with Freddie Freeman, they had two of their top, you know, seven or eight guys on the whole roster get COVID early on. Um, but yeah, Will Smith, Mark Melanson, uh, is sort of their eighth, ninth inning combo in some form or fashion. And they have a couple of guys who have closed before. They have Shane Green, who was a uh, an all-star closer at one point. I'm not sure he's that level, but oh, he's, I re- still, he's Man, good. I remember Shane Green came from oh, the Yankees. He went to Detroit and was really good in Detroit. The Yankees, Brian Cashman has been able to identify bullpen arms. I think that's why the Yankees have had a great bullpen over the last few years. But you've seen guys go. I mean, Melanson is actually of an ex-Yankee way back Melanson was a Yankee so Cashman can identify the bullpen arms yeah and they've they've worked out I mean even Chris Martin was a guy that they plucked last year at the deadline that's like their fifth reliever but as a guy who has been very good for the last two or three seasons so relievers are always volatile even the really good ones sometimes are volatile but you know coming into the year the bullpen was probably the strength of the team that for me that hasn't changed at this point in time even with that you know, that little star in the corner, that, that asterisk that, you know, bullpens even year to year can be a little bit tricky. Well, that makes the series, uh, now it's two game series, but four games total, makes it interesting, Braves-Yankees, because I think those two teams, the way you described it, are built very similar, where the Yankees rely heavily on their bullpen and their offense to win games. Uh, Maybe if things are going right for the Yankees rotation, they have a better overall staff. But the Yankees rotation has been extremely questionable so far this season, really with the exception of Cole. Um, so that could make sort of for for the uh, the classic Spider-Man meme where the two teams are just pointing at each other doing the same thing on either side. Yeah, that might be the case. Honestly, it's just uh, it's patchwork. And I know that was the, the knock on the Yankees coming into the year other than obviously Garrett Cole was Garrett Cole. But, uh, you know. It's interesting when you could only trust two or three guys max in your rotation and maybe not even that many. You just get into this weird territory where you, I don't know, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but you cannot ask the same relievers to get outs every single day of the year. You have to pace these guys. And uh, that that's common sense in some respects, but n- no one's bullpen, not even a deep team like the Braves. No one's got 10 relievers that, that they trust. Like there's always going to be a reliever or two that you don't love and they have to pitch in some moments that actually matter. What is the Braves' bullpen strategy as far as usage? Because the Yankees, at least last year in a full season, never used a guy more than two consecutive days. I think that's generally what they try to follow this year so far. And I'm not sure how long this is going to take, but Brian Snicker, the manager, has not used anybody even back-to-back days, I don't think. Or at least maybe maybe one or two guys total. But that was an early emphasis that they wanted to avoid using anybody even two days in a row. I'm sure that was just related to the weirdness of the season. But in general, uh, they don't announce this stuff ahead of time, but you could always tell. Um, when oh, yeah, you can figure it out. <laughs> you yeah. can figure out what the trends are. Yeah, the Yankees never announced it. You just go through the numbers and realize it never happened. Right. There, there was one earlier this year where, uh, where Melanson, who, especially without Will Smith, was the closer, and the Braves did some very weird bullpen things with the lead. And it was like, after about three batters, it was like, okay, Melanson can't be, can't possibly be available here. And of course, after the game, it, Mark Melanson tweeted this back. No, it was just one of those things where uh, you have to see who's available and who's not. But yeah, in general, they're pretty careful. I think early, you know, this is a long time ago now, but, you know, several years ago, they had this three-headed monster with Craig Kimbrell and Johnny Venters, and they really, really overworked those guys. And it was sort of a different regime, but still, I think they kind of learned their lessons a little bit because you just blow guys out. And, you know, that's always the risk with arms of any kind, starters or relievers. But they're, I'd say they're fairly careful. And part of that that helps, I think, is that they don't have anybody that's super dominant, but they're still top-tier guys. They, they try to stay away from when they can. 
And you mentioned sort of some of the guys that had to come back from COVID. Freeman, I know, had it early in camp, but he's played every game, I believe, right? Yeah, he actually, there was a lot of um, question about him for opening day. Not that he was going to be out too much beyond that. Once they had a handle on his illness, uh, it was pretty clear that he was going to be all right um, in short order. Although his was kind of scary. He actually talked about how sick he got. And it was a little bit frightening. I think at one point he had like 104 something fever. It was not going well for Freddie. But he is someone who is like a, a diehard in terms of always playing. He loves to be in there. And I think even the day before opening day, there was some question. But he came out and was like, all right, I'm, I'm good to go. And I'm not sure if he should have played. But, but he was out there and he played. Um, but yeah, everybody else, everybody's back now which is helpful. Uh, Will Smith, now that he's alive and back, is good. Uh, and Tukey was the other one, by the way, who's going to start against the uh, Yankees this week. He had he was a, he was a, a guy who had, had COVID. He had no symptoms, but he missed a few weeks early on. So the Braves, so got the Braves have um, had a lot of people. Yeah, I think there was four or five total. Um, obviously, Freeman and Smith were the two high-profile ones, and Freeman mm-hmm. was the one that had uh, big-time symptoms. But yeah, it wasn't like they've... Uh, escape this problem altogether even if they've uh, not it's not hit them i'm knocking out right now it's not hit them during the season so far yeah well i i'm hoping that the marlins and what the cardinals did are sort of scaring teams into just staying in their hotel rooms yeah i mean the famously the marlins were in atlanta for exhibition games before, oh i know i know day. <laughs> believe me we've uh, talked about the clubs the strip clubs that they visited in atlanta. yeah so uh you know stay, stay home everybody that's what i would <laughs> I, I would be trying to say on that one and Nick Markakis opted out, then opted back in. And I th- is he is he one of the emotional leaders on the Braves? Kind of seems like he's been there a while and uh, a veteran that the rest of the guys respect. Yeah, that's certainly the case. I mean, Markakis has been, he's kind of a controversial figure locally. Um, I think he is someone that the local media and a large portion of the fan base uh, holds in super high esteem, probably to the point where they overrate his actual on-field value. But um, part of that is that he is a great guy in the locker room and everybody loves him. And I think um, the Braves getting him back was a nice uh, nice boon for them, honestly, because not that he's a star at this point in time. He used to be a star in Baltimore, but he's a role player, but he's someone who can help you. And uh, they do really look up, look up to him. He was, he's sort of the old hand on this team. I think he's 36 now, and uh, he is probably their number one locker room guy. Well, yeah, they have such a young roster. Really, the core of their offense is young. And I was looking at Dansby Swanson's numbers, which I was like tr- amazed that I remembered he was on the, in that trade, but like it, that trade to the Braves seems like it was so long ago and you kind of haven't heard much about him, but he's having a good year. Is this sort of his turnaround? Is this his breakout? Uh, that's the hope, certainly, uh, internally, a former number one overall pick that probably overrated him a little bit all the way through. Like he's still a really talented guy, but you heard number one overall pick and you think, you know, absolute superstar. He's not going to be that, I don't think. But this year, he's been pretty good in the early going. He's had some injury stuff in his first couple of years. He's still been perfectly fine as a starting shortstop. But uh, the bat is uh, not like star level, but he hits a lot of doubles, hits the ball hard. Um, and defensively, he's pretty solid at shortstop. So just a, a very, very nice player. He's not on the level of Acuna or Freddie Freeman or even Albies, but someone who has started the season well, and they're hoping that continues. Mm. And... I don't know, the, the division is sort of shaking out really well for the Braves because the Phillies, the Nationals, and the Mets are all underachieving. They're all under 500, and those were supposed to be the biggest competition to the Braves, and I think the Marlins will eventually fall off. So it does seem like it's the, it's the Braves' division to lose at this point. 
I certainly would have felt that way pre-Soroka injury. I still feel that way, probably. It's just uh, a little bit a little bit dicier based on all the stuff that I've already said about the pitching and how worrisome yeah. it is. But the head start definitely helps. The only team, like you mentioned, that's up there with the Braves right now is the Marlins, who no one thinks is going to continue this. Um, I still worry a little bit about uh, like the Nationals in particular, they're they're pretty talented, but given the head start the Braves had, I think you kind of have to pick them to win the division at this point in time. Maybe not like overwhelmingly, but uh, they're still really talented, top to bottom. Even if, even if the starting pitching is kind of a mess, and uh, yeah, I, I just think it it's it's so weird to me. I'm sure you've had the same problem, like just re- reconfiguring your brain to put more emphasis on every single game because, like you know, eleven and six in the in a normal season is like a nice start, but no one really cares. This year, the Braves starting 11-6 is like a really big deal because now they can kind of go 500 the rest of the way and win the division. It's pretty crazy. Right. Yeah, there's definitely that balancing act. But then I sort of feel like a lot of that was taken out with the expanded playoffs. True. Yeah. I mean, not, now the bar the bar is even lower. It's kind of strange. And I said this on my show recently, too. Um I was excited for every game to mean so much. Yeah. And they, they, they did. And they did pull that away with the expanded playoffs. Um so, but I don't know, it's kind of, it's just very strange confluence because now 16 teams is so many teams getting in. Like someone's going to get in with like 27 wins and it's going to oh, feel yeah. so below, A couple below 500 teams are going to be in the playoffs. And it's going to feel very strange. And yet uh, there's a chance one of those teams is actually good. Like what if the Nats go 27 and 33 as, uh, as reigning World Series champions? That, that, that's a playoff team on paper for sure. But they, they, they got off to a slow start. And if they're in it again, like no one wants to see them in the playoffs. Like, no, no not with that pitching staff, especially in three game series. It doesn't matter if you're home or road. Like, what is really the home home field advantage at this point with no fans? Right. So that is the uh, that is the trouble. I, I think there's obviously a slight advantage, I would say, to being home for all three games, but not in the way that you might think. And uh, yeah, if, if you're the if you're the Dodgers, for instance, as the number one overall seed in the National League and you draw the if you draw the Nationals in round one. Oh, that's a nightmare for Dodgers fans. Yeah, it's just it's just miserable. And that's just one example. But that's that's a team that right now maybe projects to be like a 500 ish team, even if they're more talented than that. So who knows? You you mentioned uh, the only multi-year deal that they offered this winter was for a reliever, Will Smith. They let Josh Donaldson walk. I don't know what your opinion is of Donaldson if you wanted them to resign him. But what is your take on sort of Braves management and their willingness to spend on on not only their own players, which it seems like if they can lock them up to a long term cheap deal, they're going to do it. Who wouldn't? But really, in in free agency, like what's what's sort of your take on that? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Donaldson they wanted him back, but given his age, they sort of drew they sort of drew the line in the sand. I think probably rightly so. I, I was he was a, I was a big fan of his. I think he's very good and was awesome for the Braves last year. But in his mid thirties, giving him as much um, as many years, I should say, uh, as the Twins did, was probably a bit of a risk. Um, I still liked him, but I was okay with him uh, letting him walk at that price. I mean, in general, I'm okay with what the Braves have done. I've criticized them in the past. They have this sort of nameless, faceless conglomerate that owns the Braves. It's Liberty Media. They don't really have that you know, face of the team owner, and uh, their books are a bit of a mystery. They print money. I know that much, but they don't always put it back into the Braves. Um, this, this year, I was actually pleasantly surprised. Of course, this is all pre-pandemic. But they were spending uh, considerably more than they normally spend on the Braves, and which which was which was nice to see. So that gave me some encouragement for the future. Um, but even then, their two other than Will Smith, their two other big ticket items were both one year deals for Marcelo Zuna and Cole Hamels. That's been what they've kind of been doing. I'm not sure if that's because the GM Alex Anthopoulos could, could sort of sell that to ownership to try those one year deals instead of going long term, and that's the way that they sort of justify spending money. But they've uh, had this weird combination of super cheap position players. 
And then you have Freddie Freeman as their one long-term highly paid guy. And, every, and everything else is just kind of like, you know, mix and match year to year, which is not always ideal. But they managed to avoid the uh, the crippling long-term contract, which is what they probably wanted to do, I think. Yeah, well, I, I sort of so I've we've done preview episodes for all the teams that the Yankees are going to play this year. And I did one for the Phillies. And it's interesting how the Phillies have gone about sort of piecing their roster together. And if there's a lot of good pieces on paper, but I'm just not so quite sure it fits. And then you kind of sort of contrast that with what the Braves have done. You sort of talking about these one year, year to year deals, but it just seems like the whole piece fits together much better, even though the name recognition on a lot of the players might not be there like it is on the Phillies. Yeah, there's and obviously you mentioned before, but there, there are huge advantages when um, both Ronald Acuna and especially Ozzy Albies took yeah. like these comically team friendly deals. I don't understand. How the hell did that? Happen? Where was like someone to step in for those players and be like, guys, come on. Yeah, I think the Acuna deal, that would happen first. And uh, everyone's reaction was, look how cheap that is. But, you know, if you're trying to be as charitable as possible, he did guarantee himself like almost $100 million. And that's a lot of money. I, I'm not, sure. it's still, a, it's still a bad deal for the player, but that's, that's a lot of money. So I, I understood that one more. It was still, a, again, it's still a bad agent job in my opinion, but they, uh, at least they got a lot of money. And then the, the Albies deal came out and yes, he's not as good as Ronald Acuna, but he's a budding like starish level player. And he took one of the more ridiculous deals I've ever seen. Honestly, remind, I'm not trying to understand what that. it is. Yeah. Remind me what it is. I think it's uh, it's seven years and like the max is like 40 something million. I'm looking this up right now. I've uh, I need to commit this to memory. But yes, it's um, yeah, seven years, 35 million. Oh, my God. And then and then two club op- two club options at the end. And th- and those are pretty and those are pretty reasonable, too. So, I mean, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I've never seen a worse deal for a player that was already <laughs> like an established like high level starter. Like again, Albies was a four win player last year at the age of, I think 21 or two. It's just crazy to me that he signed that deal. And again, I'm not trying to pile on him. It was life changing money. And yes, there's a lot of security in that, but that, that was the deal that really around the league. Even like I, I talked to people that just could not believe he signed that deal. It was weird. Yeah, he, he's according to baseball reference, which might over inflate war. He was a 5.2 win player last year. There there's, yeah. I mean, he's worth three times that contract. Oh, at, at least. I mean, Acuna is again was a value, and he was he's guaranteed about 100 million, and he's not two and a half times as good as Ozzy Albies. Well, he, um, I mean, he he will be a free agent though. Even if those two club options are picked up, he'll be in his 30 year, which is not the worst thing. Yeah, it's just the but, it's just the numbers. I mean, the the length was perfectly fine. That's kind of a normal extension in terms of length. It was just the uh, he didn't really get any. There was no reason for him to sign an extension if that was what, right, if that was the one that was offered. Yeah, the Braves are not really sacrificing anything there. It's all nope. sacrifice on the player's standpoint. So I mean, uh, I guess more power to the Braves if you can get the player to agree to that. That helps you yeah. build your team immensely, <laughs> especially a, because I don't think they're willing to go over the top luxury tax threshold like some other teams. Well, right. That that was the thing about this is that I, I felt conflicted because, you know, a lot of Braves fans, you know, that care about the Braves and the Braves only were kind of not mad at me, but just like, you know, why, why does it matter? It's a great deal for the Braves. I'm like, I'm not saying it's not. It's an incredible deal for the Braves. I'm just trying to say, like, it's not a good deal for Ozzy Albies and you have to try to care about your player at some point. And it was just a legendarily bad deal. But anyway, do you uh, remember, it, help, it helps them. Yeah. Do you remember? um Perez, Salvador Perez for the Royals signed like something crazy, like a six year, $7 million deal with yeah. the Royals. And then he was like the best catcher in baseball for a couple of years. And they actually redid the contract with him. I so, mean, Ozzy's is so bad that 
maybe that's a situation where the Braves will feel like actually feel bad about it. I doubt it because the Braves are owned by, <laughs> yeah. again, a, a, a corporate conglomerate that they don't probably care too much about. But yeah, Ozzy is on the level of a player that is so underpaid that it's going to look just silly. If he's if, if he's still this player four or five years from now, it's going to look silly. It really is. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about. So I'll let you in a little bit on, on Yankees Twitter and what the one thing they bitch about constantly is John Smoltz on the broadcast when he ever, oh whenever my. he does a Yankees game because they feel like he just absolutely despises the Yankees probably from 96, 99. Yep. But uh, do you, how old were you in those years? Um, I was 10 and 96 and 13 and 99. So I was, uh, okay. I, I would say 96 is my worst baseball memory. So I was going to ask you that. Yeah, Congratulations you're, you're, to you. you know, you're a couple years older than me. I was eight in 96. And um, that was sort of like my indoctrination into baseball was, was watching the, the 95 into the 96 team. And yeah, absolutely. The Braves were, they should have won that World Series. They were the better team. 99, the Yankees were no question the better Cor- team. Correct, for sure. And uh, the I'm, I'm sure you know this, but the, the crazy thing about 96 was that the Braves won the first two at Yankee Stadium. Oh yeah, oh believe me, I remember. <laughs> Just um, unbelievable stuff there. But I, the, yeah, uh, here we are. The Jim Larratt's home run in Atlanta is probably yep. the, the moment that a lot of people just emotionally died in, in Atlanta. Uh, I would be among those people. So yes, that's that's accurate. Uh, and But yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to me uh, to go back and look at that stuff, but I don't know. I, I, they're Braves, Braves fans. If anybody listens to this, the Braves fan, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they will, but if maybe if I, if I share it, people will uh, be recoiling in their chairs right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, so it does sound like it's still pay, a painful memory for you. I mean, I get it. Like 2001 still hurts me, even though the Yankees won all those championships, the way they lost it in the nine 11 year still hurts me. And then obviously losing oh, up three out of the Red Sox crushes me to this day. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an all timer. So uh, I don't blame you. I mean, I'm now, uh, I try to be, especially on the basketball side, but even on the Braves side, I've covered games in the press box. I try to be much, much, much more uh, unbiased at this point in my life and not live and die on the Braves the way that I used to. Um, and because of that, it almost hurts more from when I used to care more. If that makes sense. Like when I was more emotionally invested. Now I'm a little bit cooler, a little bit cooler. Like obviously I still get bothered sometimes, but you can't replace that uh, that 10 year old uh, like 10 to like 16 is like when you're just like living and dying. And uh, yeah, I can't get that one back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the Braves won all those games, all those. How many World Series did they go to? Four? Um, five. Five. five five World Series in the '90s, and to come away with one, I'm really not rubbing it in. I'm, no, it's I okay. You, I'm uh, not. This, this is my life. I understand. I, I I promise. I understand. And and the first two, I was very I was very young for '91, '92. Uh, those were kind of like they could have won both of the series if they played well, but those were kind of like they weren't supposed to be there. By the time they won it in '95, it was like, all right, here we go. And the '96, they were supposed to win. And anyway, it's just yeah, going one for five was not uh, not ideal. So the 95 championship came in a slightly shortened season and yep. n- no one sort of looks back on that. Do you think that's because it's just been time and no one remembers that or is because they almost what they play like 140 something games. So really, what's the difference between that and 162? I think it's probably both of those things. It's been a while and because it wasn't like completely different. I think the Braves, if they had snuck in by like a half game that year into the playoffs, maybe people would remember that more, but that wasn't the case. They were going to make the playoffs either way and they were probably going to win the World Series either way. But yeah, it's uh, it's both time and, you know, two and a half is two and a half times as many games in that year than they will play this year if that ha- this is this year is going to be the all-timer there's there's been other seasons i think was it 81 was the reduced season was the most reduced season that was well, like that was a split season so you had a first yeah, half winner and a second half winner 
Right. That, that one was more variable. And uh, of course, the Braves had the fabled uh, division streak that they actually were going to lose in 94. The Expos were going to win the division in 94 and they canceled the season. So the Braves. Oh, right, right. The Braves won the division, I think, 14 years in a row. And it was like the all time streak. And they actually would have lost it in the middle, but uh, they got bailed out. So I forgot about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, Brad, I appreciate the time. I'm looking forward to this series. Um, definitely, I think the, uh, you know, despite Soroka's injury, I think it's the Braves division to lose. I hope I don't jinx them. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, enjoy the rest of the season. And uh, again, thanks for the time. Uh, thanks so much for having me, man. Always always uh, fun talking about some baseball. And yeah, uh, I guess best of luck slash worst of luck in the series. <laughs> yeah, I feel <laughs> Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.